I'm Father Ron Shipley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to the revised edition of Episode 7 in the AIC Christian Education video series, The Nicene Creed. The revised series includes many new illustrations and enhanced cross-references to other AIC resources in video, podcast, and print form available through links on our website. In this episode, the first of two on the final paragraph of the Nicene Creed, my focus is on the phrases, and I believe in the Holy Ghost through worshiped and glorified. The music used in the opening and closing titles is Reginald Heber's Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, written in 1827 A.D., based on Revelation 4, verses 6 to 11, 5, 13, 15, 2 to 4, and Isaiah 6, 1 to 3. It is performed on the organ in England by Richard Irwin to the tune Nicaea, composed by John B. Dykes in 1861 A.D. I encourage viewers to visit Richard's dedicated webpage, https colon right slash right slash play dot hymnswithoutwords.com, and I thank Richard for granting permission for its use. Properly speaking, the Nicene Creed, as we know it, was not the work product of just the Council of Nicaea. The Nicene Creed is the basis for the Trinitarian doctrine of the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the Creed approved at Nicaea in 325 A.D. had made no reference to the Holy Spirit. That distinction fell to the Second Ecumenical Council, also known as the First Council of Constantinople, which was convened in 381 A.D. by the Emperor Theodosius, a strong supporter of Nicene Christianity. The Second Ecumenical Council was attended by 150 priests and bishops, all from the Eastern Church. As I discussed in Episode 6, the Council of Constantinople also added the phrase, his kingdom shall have no end to the first part of the creed and also made certain embellishments to the description of Jesus Christ from the original Nicene Creed. For this reason, many in the Eastern Church think of the creed by the hyphenated name, the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed. The illustration is an early 18th century Byzantine Orthodox fresco honoring the 150 fathers at Constantinople. It was painted into the arches supporting the central dome at Stavropolios Church, Bucharest, Romania. The fresco dates to around 1724 A.D. Extensive restoration was made to the frescoes in the early 20th century to repair damage from an earthquake. The Nicene Creed continues with, And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life. The phrase Holy Ghost is owed mostly to the King James translation of 1611. In nearly all other translations, both ancient and modern, he is called the Holy Spirit. 
The intent of the writers at Constantinople was to fix the omission at Nicaea and to assure Christians concerning the equality of the Holy Spirit as one of the three divine persons of the Holy Trinity. The Spirit is also called God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit is most commonly represented in Christian art based largely on Matthew 3.16, Mark 1.10, and Luke 3.22 in the form of a dove as in the illustration from one of the nativity murals at St. Joseph's Villa Chapel, Richmond, Virginia, as shown in the AIC bookstore publication, Paintings on Light, available through the virtual bookstore links at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. In New Testament Greek, the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, which means advocate. The title is generally translated in English as comforter. It is derived from John 14, verse 26, from the King James Version. The title of the Holy Spirit in the Nicene Creed as the giver of life comes largely from the Eastern Church's liturgical tradition in which the Holy Spirit is described as the life-giving spirit. The illustration is a 19th century stained glass window at St. Clement's Church, Jersey in the Channel Islands showing the Holy Spirit as a dove at the baptism of Christ by John the Baptist. The foremost advocate of the equality of the Spirit in substance and authority and glory with God the Father and God the Son was St. Basil the Great, Bishop of Caesarea in Cappadocia. His book on the Holy Spirit had been in wide circulation for about a decade before the Council of Constantinople. Basil died about two years before the Council met, but his ideas were supported eloquently at the Council by his younger brother, Gregory of Nyssa. St. Basil's book remains useful reading for any devout Christian. I recommend the inexpensive modern paperback edition translated and edited by David Anderson from Volume 5 in the popular Patristic series at St. Vladimir Seminary Press. For those interested in, in obtaining a copy, the direct URL address for the seminary is shown on the slide. The illustration of St. Basil is the central detail of an illumination from the Menologion of Basil II, a commemoration of the lives of several hundred Eastern saints plus a few Western saints published at Constantinople in the late 10th and early 11th centuries. In Christian thinking, it was the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, called Whitsunday in the Anglican tradition, into the hearts of man that marked the start of the church and made possible the spread of the Christian faith throughout the world. The descent of the Spirit is described in Acts chapter 2. St. John wrote that the Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus' divinity because the Spirit is truth. That's from 1 John 5 verse 6b. Jesus used the phrase spirit of truth in John 14, verse 17. The illustration is a Russian Orthodox icon of the descent of the Spirit upon the apostles at Pentecost, painted around 1497 A.D. for the Kirillov-Belozersky Monastery at Kirillov, Russia, about 420 miles north of Moscow.
The Christian doctrine of grace from the Greek charis, which rhymes with Harris, received from God through the Holy Spirit is one of the foundational beliefs of the Christian faith. The doctrine of grace teaches that it is only through God's grace that mankind may do anything that is good, and further, that God's grace is a sovereign gift granted at his choice and cannot be earned either by words or by works, as St. Paul taught in Romans 3.24. For more on the Christian doctrine of grace, see the Twelfth Day of Christmas episode called Grace and Faith in our AIC seasonal video series, The Twelve Days of Christmas, linked from the digital library link at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The illustration for this and the next three slides is Christ Pantocrator, the central image in a mosaic of Christ flanked by Emperor Constantine IX Monomachus, who reigned in the 11th century, and the Empress Zoe from the Hagia Sophia in Constantinople, now called Istanbul. The traditional understanding of the doctrine of grace is that God's grace is delivered into the hearts of the faithful by the Holy Spirit at baptism. From its place in the human heart, it governs the actions of man. Archbishop Thomas Cranmer, primary author of the First English Book of Common Prayer in 1549 A.D., which was based upon older prayers in the Western Church tradition, incorporated the traditional doctrine of grace into several collects which are used during Trinity season. For instance, we can do no good thing without thee, which is from the first Sunday after Trinity and based upon the Gelasian sacramentary of the 6th century. All texts in this episode in this section, are from the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. The second example is this from the Collect for the 19th Sunday after Trinity, also based upon the 6th century Gelasian Sacramentary. O God, forasmuch as without Thee we are not able to please Thee, mercifully grant that Thy Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. In many other Christian prayers and liturgies, based on both Scripture and the Nicene Creed, the Spirit is called the indwelling Spirit. The corollary doctrine is that the faithful at baptism and later in life must take the initiative and invite the Holy Spirit into their hearts and minds. A further development of this concept will be discussed in a moment. For more on the concept of heart and taking the teachings into the heart, see the heart entry on pages 104 to 105 in the bookstore publication Layman's Lexicon, accessible using the virtual bookstore link at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. In Anglican worship, the Holy Spirit plays a part in the liturgy for Holy Communion or Holy Eucharist. In the canon of the Mass, the priest calls upon the Father to, quote, bless and sanctify with thy word and Holy Spirit, unquote, the bread and wine. That's from the invocation. The illustration is, again, the late 15th century Russian Orthodox icon of the descent of the Holy Spirit. 
The Nicene Creed continues with another phrase, which was not introduced at Nicaea, and in this case, not at Constantinople or at any of the later of the seven ecumenical councils. The phrase is, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son. The phrase is called the filioque from Latin for and the Son in the Western Church version of the Nicene Creed. It is not included in the Eastern Church version of the Creed. The illustration is a desus mosaic of Christ Pantocrator in the South Gallery at the Hagia Sophia, Constantinople, Istanbul. The mosaic, in which the figures are twice life-size, was added to the original 6th century basilica in the late 12th century. The Christ figure is the central image of three, with John the Baptist and the Blessed Virgin Mary, or Theotokos in the Eastern tradition. There are many theories about the origin and theological accuracy of the filioque. It is commonly called the procession clause. It probably came about from the use of Roman Catholic bishops in Toledo, Spain, and thereabouts, and eventually spread by custom only throughout the Western Church. The procession clause is the subject of ongoing negotiations between the Vatican and the Eastern Orthodox Ecumenical Patriarchate that began after the Feast of St. Andrew in 2005 AD, which followed Pope Benedict XVI's historic visit to Istanbul. The Eastern Church has made agreement on the removal of the filioque from the Nicene Creed as a condition of the restoration of communion between Rome and the Eastern Orthodox churches. In the Anglican tradition, the great Anglican divine Lancelot Andrews, who was chaplain both to Queen Elizabeth I and King James I, clarified the procession issue with this formula, which does not change the wording but clarifies the meaning. All things come from God the Father and are received through God the only begotten Son. This is an interpretation which is supported by the Anglican usage of the phrase through Jesus Christ our Lord in many prayers. And finally, the third stage, when God the Holy Spirit is within us. In the Andrews formula, he wrote that in prayer, the reverse is true. The faithful must have the Holy Spirit in us when we pray through the only begotten Son, to the Father. For more on Lancelot Andrews and his contribution toward the Anglican understanding of traditional Christian spirituality, see pages 14 to 17 in the AIC bookstore publication, Christian Spirituality, an Anglican Perspective. The book is available in paperback and Kindle editions using links from the virtual bookstore section at the bottom of the home page at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The Nicene Creed continues with, Who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. In this phrase there are two important words not previously discussed, worshipped and glorified. The traditional understanding of worship comes from 
the Gospel of St. John from John 4:23. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. The Hebrew Old Testament word for worship, which appears in Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, and in the Psalms, and also in the writings of the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zephaniah, Michael, and Zechariah, is shakar. The Hebrew word shakar has several meanings, including to bow down, or to prostrate, to reverence, to beseech, or to pay homage. The most common Greek word in the New Testament with the same or similar meaning, and which was used by St. John throughout his gospel, and in the book of Revelation, and also by Saints Matthew, Mark, and Luke in their gospels, is proskunio, which means to prostrate, to reverence, or to adore. For Anglicans and some other denominations, including the Methodist, worship is corporate, that is, the faithful are worshiping together in fellowship, not offering a collection of individual separate voices, but a single corporate voice unto the Lord. For more on worship in the Anglican tradition and the Christian tradition more broadly, see the entry Worship on pages 241 to 243 in Layman's Lexicon, also available from our virtual bookstore link at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net near the bottom of the homepage. The illustration is the nave and high altar at Ely Cathedral in Cambridgeshire, England. In the modern church in many denominations, worship has turned into entertainment. The Anglican tradition since the 19th century has included both hymns and canticles, but these are considered supplemental to the purpose of a service, which is worship. Christian music is required to be dignified with lyrics that are theologically correct and intended to teach scripture and doctrine. For a new collection of traditional hymns consistent with these standards, see the St. Chrysostom Hymnal, which is available in either paperback or Kindle editions using the virtual bookstore link at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net near the bottom of the home page. The second important word in this phrase is glorified. In traditional Anglican worship, the Lord is repeatedly glorified in the Holy Communion liturgy and also praised. For instance, at the end of the preface with the refrain, Holy, 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 ending in Glory be to Thee, O Lord Most High. In the three-part prayer, the Agnes Dei, either said or sung by the clergy and the people after the invitation and before the receipt of the elements and sung or said in the Gloria in Excelsis at the end of the service, except during Lent and Advent. In other services, including morning prayer and evening prayer, the Gloria Patri is said after all readings from the Psalms. Finally, in prayers and songs for all occasions, there is the frequent use of the word Alleluia, which in Hebrew literally means praise to the Lord. 
Other AIC resources mentioned in this episode can be accessed on demand 24-7 from our website, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. You can watch this and other videos in the Bible study, Christian education, and seasonal video categories from either the Bible study page or the digital library page. If you prefer, you can listen to podcast versions of all our videos using links on the podcast archive page and podcast homilies based upon readings in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer from the links on the podcast homilies page. Or you can acquire and read any AIC bookstore publication using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The link takes you to my Amazon Author Central page, where nearly all our books are available either in paperback or Kindle editions. The dedicated direct link is https colon slash slash www.amazon.com write slash author write slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. All the words after dot com must be in lowercase only. Please be assured that 100% of all book royalties are contributed to the AIC. Thank you for joining me for Episode 7. Next time, in Episode 8, I will conclude the series with a discussion of the final paragraph of the Nicene Creed, beginning with, Who Spake by the Prophets, going through the Amen, and also offer some summary remarks both upon the Creed and the series. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our newly redesigned website and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.